I'd like to acknowledge that we are on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional gathering place of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene people, and the traditional homeland of the Métis people. CARFAC has engaged in a research and consultation initiative to create an Indigenous Intellectual and Cultural Property Resource Guide and Toolkit for the visual arts sector, similar to the one that was done in Australia. We aim to provide respectful protocols around the use and protection of First Nations, Inuit, and Métis visual art and cultural material. This includes information about who has the right to reproduce, present, and reference traditional and contemporary images, stories, and symbols. This toolkit will be shared on our new IndigenousProtocols.art website, which will include these podcasts, case studies, and other materials that will be available for our community partners. Today we have with us Marjorie Bocage. Marjorie Bocage is a Two-Spirit Métis elder, filmmaker, artist, activist, and educator. She is a land protector and water protector, a pipe carrier, a carrier of stories, of ceremony, and of Buffalo Council teachings, which is Métis law. Born in Vassar, Manitoba, to a large Métis family, Marjorie's life work has been about creating social change, working to give people the tools for creating possibilities and right relations, whether in the classroom, community, a campsite, or the arts. Marjorie's goal has been to pass on the stories, knowledge, and skills that will make a difference for the future. For Marjorie, story is medicine. Thank you for joining me today, Marjorie. Hi. So we're, I would like to talk about uh, the Buffalo Council teachings, which is the Métis law, and how protocols are reflected within that, and how artists, Métis artists in specific, would be able to use those protocols within their own work, within their own stories, and their own teachings. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I've been thinking about this a lot um, and about, you know, the Métis laws. And I think it boils down to the first law, the main law, uh, is self-governance. Uh, and that's one of the hardest things to do, to govern yourself, to govern your stories, to govern everything, really. And... Uh, so that's what the well, was at the heart of the Buffalo Council, and people organized their lives for survival and for uh, ceremony and relations, you know, in that in that council. And uh, I guess the most important things are the relations like feeling connected and the best way to do that is through story and ceremony and being out on the land I mean those that's how we live that's what sustains us that's what has sustained us since you know forever so um that's what I understand and uh there's lots of uh different ways to there's all kinds of stories so there's different I guess protocols or 
for for different kinds of stories because they're not all the same. Um, like if you're talking about teaching stories, like the Sagachak stories, you know, or the trickster stories or whatever, then you know those can only be shared from the first snow, like till the until the frogs sing, like that's the the law for that. So then, um, and only people who have earned those stories or been given those stories have the right to to share them. So I'm not one of those. I I am, and I don't speak Cree. So uh, I guess that's the the other thing is that most of the Métis stories or uh, traditional stories are in the language of people that they're with, so it'd be Cree or Ojibwe or, or Majef or French, but it's um, it's still it, it because it contains uh, the language contains those vibrations that are not in English say. Um, and those are really important part of story and even like uh, I know some, uh, I, I submitted a work to, for example, to uh, Hot Docs, and they wouldn't show it unless I put subtitles on it. And I refused to put subtitles on it because I wanted people to hear the sound of the land, of the language, and and uh, so they didn't choose it because of that. But, um, you know, it's like there's things they just don't get in terms of languages, and and you know, following, um, not trusting, you know, my intention as the creator. I, you know, I, I, uh, I had a reason to do it that way. I've been experimenting with, uh, with voice, you know, for a long time and trying to find ways to interpret or translate without those conventions that are uh, in film and video for, for in particular. And uh, so I've been, I mean, I've enjoyed uh, trying different things over the years uh, to uh, honor that. But that, that's one thing that I wish that uh, they wouldn't just see English and French as the languages and, and that they would recognize indigenous languages as, as languages of the land that we're on. So um, that's, that's, well, I think that brings us to a, a a different piece about the protocol. So hot dogs, and their protocol was it had to be English and French, and yet the producers of moving image and visual art are not necessarily English and or French. And like you said, they don't want to have to have the colonized languages used that way. Mm-hmm. And I think part of uh, what we can do with our Indigenous protocols research that we're doing right now is to better inform galleries and festivals about our own protocols mm-hmm. and how those protocols are not necessarily having to be in English and French. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's one piece that just, you know, what I thought about. The other thing about uh, stories is like, so, so there's also the historical stories 
the the stories from comes from a particular place, and and uh, those the stories that have to be earned, like I said, or have to be given to you, and and you always have to acknowledge the source of that story when you tell it. Um, what would an example be? Well, Rougarou, let's say, uh, and Métis stories. Uh, different communities have different versions. So if it comes from the Brett, it's different than the one I was told as a child, or it's different than the one Maria wrote. It's different, you know, but, but she, like everybody had to, uh, um, you know, in, in a sense, have that permission um, to tell that story or where they got it from. Or where it comes from, hmm. and the other, the other principle. Well, yeah, that's. I mean, that's how I understand it anyway. That it's acknowledging that relationship that you have to that story. And so you were gifted this story, and does that mean that you can gift that story to somebody else? Like, if somebody came to speak to you about. Uh, that particular story, could you share it with them and then they could then share it again? It, yeah, if, I mean, if that's what you choose to do. Uh, I mean, I did, I told the Rougarou story to some grade threes here in Duck Lake and we made a video together about it. And, and uh, you know, and then because they were in it and with me in it, like they own it now too. Like, it's their story as well. And how old were these kids? Grade three, like eight, nine years oh. old. Yeah, they were so sweet. It was so fun. It was a three-day thing, one of those uh, Culture Days projects, you know, at the Duck Lake Museum with the grade three class. So. Oh, that must have been so exciting for them. It was. They felt like little movie stars when we had the premiere, you know, <laughs> in the school. <laughs> And so now they each have their Rougarou story and they can share that. And yeah. I guess then it also keeps the story alive. That's right. And also they'll have their version of it when they tell it, right? Because stories aren't static. Um, that's why, like, with the oral tradition, you're always working with the energy of the people and the time and the place that you're in. So uh, it changes because it's alive. It's, it's a living living story and and even the language that you use depending on the audience, right? That they're like the kids. So you, you kind of talk to them, you know, the way they understand. That must have been so much fun. Yeah, it is. Well, I found my, I, I put it up on my Vimeo page if you want to watch it. It's short. <laughs> yeah. So other I than... experimented with the, with the, special effects because a lot of the things that we tried to do like they wanted to do all this stuff but like we only had two days so <laughs> but we did make like a moon out of a out of a pipe plate covered with tin foil and we drew some I had this little animator pen that for the computer we drew some images because we didn't have have them all but it was fun <laughs> And is that is that like a good age to be sharing the stories so that they can then take it home and share those stories as well? Stories work 
no matter how old you are, because I've the way those stories go, you, you remember and you get what you need out of it, and mm -hmm. it varies according to that. According to that, so it's like they're like I said, they're living things. So, so they they work in different ways for everybody, and uh, depending on what you're living and what's going on, you know. One of the conversations that the advisory council for the Indigenous Protocols uh, Project has had is that this will be a living document and yeah. living because the protocols are changing as it are the generations have changed. So those that have come out of the community and not been back to the community or those that were, you know, part of the 60s scoop. Um, and not have a connection, how those new connections can be formed yeah. and, and those changes within that. Yeah. So I think it's really a really exciting time, but also really challenging uh, to be able to, I guess, find also elders, artists that you can have these conversations with. Like how, how would somebody know to contact you? You know, like, I mean, I know to contact you, <laughs> but how would, you know, if there's a young filmmaker out there that wants, that has heard snippets of a story and wants to know the, the real story and not know that you can't share it during the summer because, you know, winter is our storytelling time. Mm -hmm. Like, those simple protocols that I think we've been surrounded with and that assumption that everybody knows, like a, you know, the community knows that winter is this time and we can share this information. Mm -hmm. I think um, part of this document that's being produced will for uh, permission to share stories. Um, have artists approached you uh, to learn about protocols within the Métis community? Uh, not specifically Métis. I mean, Maria's here. No. <laughs> They're mostly a brochure. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, there's lots of knowledgeable elders around here. Um, I was doing more of that when, back in the 90s, I suppose, when we were all uh, working with that, uh, you know, around cultural appropriation and around stories and everything that with the alliance when we started out and and so uh i haven't uh been that active about it people i meet uh, when people i have conversations i mean there are some young artists you know like jesse short and a few other metis artists that have come to me for specific things with the film and video uh stuff um mm -hmm. yeah uh the reciprocity that's another principle that comes from the Buffalo Council and from uh, that I find with stories is really important as well, like that giving back. Like if you got that story, it's not just for you. If you're a storyteller, you have the responsibility to give it to the people. I mean, that's your job. And and uh, to give it to the community first. I mean, that's that's what's supposed to happen. When you make a work or, you know, that goes back to where you got it from. 
And uh, like I was to honor that place where the story comes from. And I was really upset when uh, um, Tasha's Hubbard's film, um, you know, from about Colton Bushy, We Will Stand Up, mm-hmm. uh, that the NFB didn't get it and didn't do that. And that, that story should have been shown first in North Battleford, where the story came from, not at Hot Docs and at other festivals before it ever even got to Saskatchewan. Uh, mm-hmm. if this is where it belonged. This is where it should have been shown first, back to the people where that story came from, you know. And with NFB, like I know Tessa didn't have no say, didn't have no power over it. Um, they they just do their thing and and uh, want to have prestige and recognition. That's more important to them than the story or where it comes from. And I was really upset with that for some reason. Like I just so what would be one of the ways then that we could use this um, document and the website to inform the NFB about this, what this protocol is and why this protocol is in place? Well, it, it's like it's coming from another worldview. It's not the colonial worldview. And so they don't understand the values in that worldview, like the self-governance or the reciprocity or the respect that uh, and the responsibility to give back. Like they just probably, even though they might have heard it, they don't get it or they don't really need to change. Like they're the boss of, you know, <laughs> there's... <laughs> documentary stories, right? That's why I never made a film with the film board. I own my own self and my own stories, and there's no way that they're going to tell me what I'm going to do with it. And so is the film ever shown in Saskatchewan? Yeah, I finally did get here. Yeah. Hmm. And how is the community around that? It was tough because there's still, uh, it, it stirred up a lot of the old um, uh, the feelings about when it ha- from when it happened and the court and everything. So there, but um, yeah, it, it did help the conversation to, to go a little further, I think, in some places. Um, well, I think that's a really interesting point um, regarding moving image and where the stories are coming from and where they should be shown first mm-hmm. because there's so many uh, indigenous film festivals now and they ask for, for screenings. I know. Like, like that's how you get into well, the festival. Well, that's the colonial hangover thing. I mean, it's not our way. Mm. So like a lot of our festivals, like they, it's like, it's like imaginative. Like they want to be TIFF, but we're not TIFF. We're never going to be TIFF. We're never going to be Hollywood. We're never going to be all of those things. And that's not why we're doing these stories. And, you know, I've, I've been saying that for, you know, 30 years. <laughs> and you find them starting to hear me a little bit, you know, like two years ago, I was, uh, I had a retrospective at Imaginative, um, 
I had my work had never been chosen there before. I submitted it I just, and it was never shown. And it wasn't, I wasn't one of the cool kids and it wasn't like sexy, you know, like and full of, you know, the, what they, what would be like, uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, that wasn't uh, the vibe then. <laughs> so now they're starting to recognize important what we were trying to say about story and language and land and I see more and more of that being integrated in, in the way that the young people are uh, working and they're asking more questions about that and and following more their truth in that regard but it's taken 30 years but that's how long you know I've been making films and uh, we didn't have media before much uh, of our our own I mean, there weren't very many of us practicing, and and uh, and that's why we got together and tried to figure out how we wanted to do oral tradition in a contemporary way. Mm-hmm. So we, I didn't follow the conventions and of documentary, and tried to do more creative storytelling ways that was true to our way, and uh, so that's mm-hmm. kind of been interesting. And now I just got the Indigenous Art Bank in Ottawa just got 11 of my videos. I couldn't believe it. Like, I've submitted two. I didn't know that there was a, a limit or anything, and I hadn't heard nothing back for months. And then all of a sudden, I got this email, like, the jury chose 11. I said, what? <laughs> Congratulations. That's really fabulous. That's oh, I'm glad the stories are out there because they're still relevant and they still contain some of these uh, teachings, I suppose, that I was trying to implement. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it, uh, in the way that I was doing my work. Yeah. Well, and I think it's really interesting with the uh, Indigenous um, knowledge rights and the Indigenous cultural practice, how those that have been out of the community um, are submitting are not going back to the community or sharing stories that they may not necessarily have rights to mm. to use. Yeah, so I think it's that shift is on its way even more so. Yeah, I've seen I've seen uh, I've seen some of that, but it's like you know those stories don't have power if uh, they're not done in the right way. So like it's like. People who sell medicine, like, you know, that medicine doesn't have any power anymore. Like money has the power, but that medicine doesn't have the power because the intention of the one who picked it, you know, for sale, uh, is not the intention of that medicine. So, you know, I just say, well, yeah, it comes back to you and, and you know what? It doesn't have any power because it wasn't done with the right intention. And I mean, intention is everything. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to. You can make mistakes, but it's it's what's in your heart. It's what you're in your mind to towards where you're going that makes a difference in in the story and the impact of that story moves people and to change things. That's what stories are for. They they're transformative and. When we share our stories, then we we help each other, we heal each other. Mm-hmm. 
That's so exciting. And congratulations on the sale. That's really fabulous. Yeah, it is. Yeah, good time, too. Mm -hmm. Have you had any challenges about some of the stories you've shared that would fall along or outside of a protocol? Um, not really. Uh, I, I had one video that I made for the parole board. That's the only time I had a, a, a problem, a legal problem. Oh. <laughs> uh, I had permission. Uh, I always get permission and signed and all of that stuff for, for my stories. But this one, this one was, uh, Parole hearing, a community assisted parole hearing in Wasagamat. And they all signed, including the the main, uh, you know, character, like that was on parole, um, or asking to come back to the community. But it was, and then it, I didn't get permission for it to be shown on APTN. I don't even know how they got it or, um, I never, I never found out, but, uh, they saw it on TV, uh, uh you know, on APTN and, uh, then they were really upset, but they had, mm-hmm. I didn't plan it for broadcast, but what I didn't say that it couldn't be broadcast, but I, uh, so they they got upset and so they um you know wrote me the lawyer wrote me this letter but I gave it to the parole board and they took care of it because I didn't <laughs> have all the paperwork right so it didn't go anywhere but it was it's one of those things you know like an APTS should not have done it without my permission and so is that done through a distributor I don't know hmm. I don't, I don't recall how it got there, but anyway, um, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So, I don't know, what was the question? Oh, uh, if I've been challenged, but, um, cause like, no, the, uh, like the ones that I did with the community, like they, they worked with me on it. I mean, I always work with, with the community, so. Like the new one in Labrador that has their Wolverine story or the, you know, Rougarou, which I got from my family. But there's nothing, I don't put anything in that will get me in trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or that could come back to me, you know. But that, that's also another part of the learning process for, you know, emerging artists that are not from a community. Um, you know, how, how do they engage with that? And, if they even know what they can or cannot do with specific stories or images, you know? Yeah, well, a lot of them know or don't know or don't care. Uh, you know, like uh, there was a young filmmaker from up north here that put uh, with Sagitsak and Windigo in the same story, and I thought, holy, you know, that's not right. And and, and uh and he got all this acclaim, you know, at Imaginative and everything. And, I, and I'm thinking, mm, where did I, so I thought, and I was feeling really uncomfortable with it. So when I saw her here, she was, a, they were on a panel at the university and I, 
I approached her to ask her, I said, like, who, uh, where did you get that idea that you could put both of these characters in the same film and, you know, create this dystopia that doesn't exist in our world and you're using two of our most powerful features to do it. And I said, that's not right, you know, that's not right. And, and she said, well, my uncle or my grandfather, whoever, but, you know, said it was okay. And I said, well, okay. I mean, mm. you, uh, you know, well, and I, to do it. Yeah. But I mean, that's another piece of it. So the, the festival didn't know that those two couldn't be together. There was no, you know, they just saw it as a contemporary story when, when these Two yeah. characters would never be together in any story. No. Well, I think festivals and galleries or art institutions need to have a council of elders uh, to uh, consult um, when there is these questions, you know, these uh, what traditional stories in particular when they come up. Um, because how else are people going to know uh, if they don't have that ongoing uh, learning and consultation and yes. relationship, you know, so that they can begin to understand? Because if you're not exposed to it, you don't know. Um, but you can't stay ignorant forever and be in those positions. Mm-hmm. Or use the ignorance as the excuse. Yeah, that's no yeah. more. That's no more. Yeah. A council of elders, I think that would be really uh, powerful. Yeah. And to have access to a council of elders would be amazing. Yeah. I, hmm. I mean, there's enough of, of the people, senior artists and elders in the arts to be able to do that in all the disciplines. Well, I just want to thank you so much for all your time today. You're most welcome.